Business Bros is your show, where small business professionals just like you come to tell their stories. This podcast is for those who understand the number one rule in business, which is to be of service to others. Learn how today's professionals generate leads, what's working on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of those who are out there doing the real work. And now let's welcome your hosts, Hernan Cias, the real estate bro with eXp Realty, the cloud-based brokerage where top producers reign, and James Cias, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, making sure you are covered because there's a lot riding out there. And now here are the business bros. Welcome to another episode of Business Bros. <laughs> what up, ladies and gentlemen? Hernan Cias here, host of the Business Bros podcast, where our job is to help you create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, along with my co-host. Whoop, whoop. I love the way you did that. Excellent job. Uh, the co-host is James C.S. with Pipeline Insurance, where we are empowering licensed professionals to effectively add insurance into their existing businesses. All right, all right. And as always, we have another ready-to-go, rock-and-roll, awesome show for everybody here today. Y'all ready for this? Here we go. So many real estate agents out there are excellent agents, talented, skilled, and can help their clients buy and sell their homes in a heartbeat. So many of these talented agents sell <laughs> sell real estate. I wrote insurance. Sell real estate <laughs> until they're dead. But unfortunately, they don't have an exit strategy. Today's guest is passionate about making sure that when it comes time to pull the switch on the real estate game, He's got a way to retire comfortably. Learn from our guest as he tells us about his passion for building apartments and buying multifamily properties, land construction and development, and how he is building his nationwide empire. This wow. empire will get him out of residential sales and owning over a thousand apartments, all the while building homes for the less fortunate through GiveBackHomes.com and Agents for Change with Sotheby's. We're excited to bring this guest on the show today. From Pacific Sotheby's and Brennan Real Estate Group, please welcome to the show the man himself, Mr. Justin Brennan. Holy crap. That <sighs> <laughs> I was about to say, right? is my head supposed to explode or what? <laughs> Thank you for the intro. That, that was very kind. I appreciate yeah. that, man. Thank you. That, that, that's what the, uh, you know, Delay. 15 minute wait I'm supposed to have like fireworks shooting <laughs> off my... Yeah, we have we have uh, we have some soundboards, but the what we what we realized is they you can hear them on like Facebook Live and on the videos, but they don't come out on the audio only version. Oh, okay, good. So uh, so, so we're we're gonna we're gonna learn how to play with the soundboard. We'll figure thing. that out. But anyways, welcome to the show. Thank Boom. you for having me, man. I'm excited. I watch you guys all the time, and I love your guys' energy and what you guys do, and um, I'm stoked to be here. So thanks for having me. Isn't it funny how quiet he is like prior to the show? Like, James, this guy, James, yeah, 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 nothing, 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 and then boom, the mic goes on, and like all of a sudden, energy, he all talks. the way up, he talks, he, he talks. speaks, he oh, talks. he speaks. <laughs> all right, Justin, I'm, I've been excited to talk to you uh, once we hit the record button because we've already been having quite some fun. I got to know a little bit about you, and I kept yeah. having to shut up and ask, not ask questions. So now <laughs> I get to ask them, dude. So uh, a little bit about your background, real quick. Like, how did you decide to get into this whole commercial aspect of? building apartment buildings how did that how did that start off uh well born and raised here in san diego grew up kind of a son of a, a, a developer some kind of second or third generation on it and um learned from my dad ground up i mean i grew up on his job sites digging ditches laying pipe 
like for no other reason other than he just wanted to kind of make us lay pipe and dig ditches and then teach us the value of a dollar and hard work. I mm-hmm. uh, didn't know that until later because you bitch all the way through it. Of course. Until you finally be like, oh, that's why. I got I blisters on my hands and <laughs> right? dirt on my socks. And- so learned everything from the ground up, from land planning, right? We all see that. Subdivisions, whether it's single family, going all the way into the multifamily space of condos, apartments, um, et cetera. All throughout Southern California. My dad also did some stuff in Idaho, in Boise, um, Sacramento, um, and then Las Vegas, built a bunch of apartments in Vegas back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then came into Southern Riverside County, um, did a bunch of stuff there be- before the uh, balloon decided to pop in 2008 and nine for everyone. So I got a, I, I got a question about that because we were kind of talking a little bit before and your intro kind of stated how you want to build a portfolio um, with a thousand doors basically. Right. Mm-hmm. At least. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, that's my, gold. That's goal one. That's the goal, right? Yeah. That's goal number one. And boop. Sorry about that. All right. So anyways, um, so my, my question is, you know, we're like over 10 years out from the last major bust. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so my, my concern has always been, you know, a market correction. I, do I think it's going to be as bad as the last one? I don't know. I have no crystal bar or anything, but I do know that, um, having or being over leveraged is really difficult to stay afloat once markets do shift like that. Yes. Um, what are you doing to like curve that in any way? Like, does that even pop in your head as you're, yeah. as you're going from building to building? And that's why I don't build things to sell things. So I don't get caught. Right. Cause a lot of people, that's what happened. Unfortunately to my dad is he was very, very good at making a bunch of money in his life. And he did, uh, because he, he, as a developer, he was in the building part and but always build condos and sell all the condos, build all the homes, sell all the homes, build the apartment building, sell the apartment building, right? At 72 years old now, he's wishing, and I keep like, oh, why didn't you just keep a piece of the apartments, right? And only sell 80% of it and keep 20% of it, right? And just because that was his mindset, which is a great mindset because there's huge pops, right? You make a bunch of money, but what you're not thinking of is exactly what you just talked about. Because the best position for you to be in when markets, you know, shit hits the fan, if you want to call it that, is you want cash flow mm-hmm. and you want as low leverage as possible. So apartments and any kind of, you know, rental income type properties, as long as your leverage point is not exceeding 65 to 70% of the value, then as, you know, markets tank, right? Let's say you have higher vacancies, not a problem, but your break even points low enough and your loan to value ratios and your debt levels are low enough, you can ride through it. You can absorb like absorb 30% it. hit That's right. still be even. And then, and then you just, you ride through it. And then you tell all your investors, hey, we're just gonna ride through this. And then we know there's an upside, but what I wanna make sure of is number one, we pay our mortgage. Number two, I don't lose your money. And number three, we're ready for the upside when it comes back. Because you can never predict the next cycle change. We know it's gonna happen. We all know it's coming. Now, based on history, Typically, every five to eight years, you have a short-term credit cycle. Every 50 to 80 years, you have a long-term credit cycle. If you look at where we're at today, right, in 2020, stock market-wise, we're literally coming into our 10th year of a run, stock market. Mm -hmm. Real estate started February 2012. So we're literally coming into eight years on that. So historically, five to eight years on a real estate cycle, we're we're there, which tells you depending on where we're at with the Trump effect and elections and stuff here this year, I would be 
just completely flabbergasted if we made it through 2021 without a cycle change. I'd See, be shocked. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm thinking along the same lines, although I thought it was going to be more like 2018. We uh, all did. Right. But, and, and we've got two years of still hot. I mean, I talk to real estate agents every day and you know, I'm part of a lot of groups mm-hmm. and we're seeing homes Low with multiple, multiple yep. offers, you know, and, and you know, that's one of the indicators that you don't see in keep the MLS. It, keep in mind, but it's not going to see that's the trick is the next cycle change will have nothing to do with what the last one was. Cause the last one was subprime mortgages, mm-hmm. right? That you real, mean the, the trigger. Yeah. Real estate took us into it. Yes. Right. Well, that was the last cycle and, but real estate's not taking us into this one. It's going to be a currency crisis. Okay. Elaborate. What do you think on that? You have, I mean, we, debt levels around the world are through this exuberant levels, right? Mm-hmm. You got 30 trillion coming up in, in America, Europe's even worse, China, Russia, they're all bad. We're actually the best of the worst. You're talking about like a like a hyperinflation type situation? Not necessarily hyperinflation, but you're going to have a something's going to happen currency-wise, right? Economies and currencies that is going to mess some things up. I don't know how that's going to happen, but it all makes sense because they're printing, I mean, we're we're printing like 4 billion a day. Right? Like we <laughs> it's crazy. We spend 10, we make 6, we print 4, like in the United States. <laughs> and all they're doing is they're printing, it's the craziest thing. The treasury's printing 4 billion to pay the interest on its own money to then print 4 billion to pay the interest on its money to then print 4 billion. So it's like a big Ponzi scheme. Cycle. Yeah. yeah. And they can do that right now because the US dollar, we're still the world's reserve currency, right? That's For the now. only way we can print the way we can. If that changes, party's over. That's scary. So let's hope that doesn't change anytime soon. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't change anytime soon. But it's a great soon. experiment. It's a great experiment because all, all, the, all the banks, central banks around the world are doing the same thing. So it's not like we're like the worst. We're actually the best of the worst. So when it goes, unfortunately, it may affect a lot of people. And then I think you're just going to, it'll be bad, but then you'll have a currency adjustment. Something's going to happen. And then away we go and we'll come right out of it. Rock and roll. So we're getting pretty deep into what would have, should have, could have happened, right? Sure. How do you, you know, what are you doing to prevent that? And like, what kind of education did you, did you kind of decide on or, or learn about that put you in a situation where you're like, this is my plan of action. This is what I'm going to do. Well, you know, I, so I went, to, uh, um, went to undergrad, uh, at Pepperdine, which was amazing. Came back home, uh, rather than go to work at my dad's companies, I wanted to go kind of make it on my own. So I did that for two to three years and then said, Hey, I wanted to go to grad school. And that was the trigger, right? Because for me in grad school, what I learned there is I just paid really good attention. And what I noticed was, you know, all the kids and all their parents and their families. And I noticed that whether it was a doctor, whether it was an attorney, whether it was whomever, right? Totally different professions outside of real estate, but they all had one common denominator. They owned real estate. They owned rental income property. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there going, Doctor, attorney, this, all these different, they're not real estate people, but behind the scenes in their portfolios, they own real estate and they cash flow those things. Cash flow is the key, as we've talked about, dividends and cash flow and money, because that allows you to ride through the recessions. That's right. Well, it's also a place to park it, right? Like uh, we talked a little bit before the show about about Rich Dad's uh, cash flow quadrant, right? We're about the E, the S, the I, and the B. Right. And, and what you're talking about there is people in the ENS quadrant, they make a lot of money. They're professionals mm-hmm. in whatever space they are. They do, uh, they do have, you know, high incomes, but what do they do with that income? They right. got to put it to work somewhere. So they, they kind of either passively or actively jump into the I quadrant to the investor quadrant. And this is where they're buying the rental real estate. Yeah. 
um, you're doing that too, but you're kind of building a business on the side of it. Like, like you're trying to develop on the B side as well as the I side. What are you doing there? Right. Cause the B side is the apartment business, right? It's a business. And then the I side is we still invest passively with other, you know, syndicates, right? Other apartment owners, other builders and developers that we can trust. We'll invest with them. We also invest in Pier Street and Lending Club. Do you know what those two are? No. You got to look those up. So PierStreet.com and then LendingClub.com. Great way. You can get in for as little as a thousand bucks, right? Or whatever you want, but a thousand dollar minimum. And uh, Pier Street is essentially a large syndication where I can go in and anywhere in the country, I invest a thousand bucks or 500 bucks. They'll take it and they're making, you know, eight to 9% on the money. They're taking two and they're giving the investor seven, hmm. right? And it's super conservative. You can check your, your level of risk, whether you want to be super risky, medium, or low. Is there a specific investment that they're doing? They're doing all real estate based. Okay. All real estate based. And it's all debt based. So meaning you're in a leveraged position on that debt. So it's pretty cool. Just go check it out. Peerstreet.com. Because we started investing in that just passively, right? As a company, Brennan Poli Group. And then we also did Lending Club, which is consumer debt. We're investing in consumer debt. But like that's why you see that right now- me. No, no, different types of consumer debt. Not like credit cards. No, 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 no. Like people, think about all the businesses. Think about all cabbage.com and all these companies out there that are just throwing money at businesses right now. Get funding in five days. Get funding, all this stuff. That's all backed by Lending Club. So Lending Club goes out and throws out all this money, but it's it's in a way leveraged against receivables, right? Against companies that are actually making revenue and money and have products. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, hey, I'm going out and putting 20000 on my credit card. I'm not investing in that. We know how that works. Yeah. No, it's I'm I'm, inv I'm investing in consumer I mean, debt of a business that has receivables, right? And I'm getting they're getting a short-term loan to do their inventory. Yeah. And make we get payroll, whatever. There you go, and you yeah. get paid back. But it's based on real numbers, not. You know. Yeah, I was gonna say on the consumer side that that freaked me out. <laughs> but you can check One your you can check your risk. Done. That's right. You can check your <laughs> risk level. So once again, but if you check out those two, those are great ways with very little money to get into the passive side of investing in real estate or in consumer side of it. If you don't have 50 or hundred grand to go throw out there right now. Yeah. Yeah. So to get into some of these larger syndicates. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about a syndicate in case people don't understand what it is and like, how do you start one or get into one? What, what is a syndicate? Cause it's a very fancy word for what yeah, and everybody freaks is. out about it. So and I was telling you before we even came on here that legally and technically a syndicate is anytime you're raising money from people, period. <laughs> just yeah like people. if i was gonna go flip a house down the street and i was raising money from three buddies of mine to go in and buy this house and flip it that's a syndicate legally that's a syndicate but because it's friends and family we tend to just do an operating agreement and they bring the money into it and we flip the house and we all have our you know splits and away we go but that's done for the basic stuff but when you get into more sophisticated syndicates where you're buying an apartment building and you're raising two, three million dollars, some from people you know, some people you don't. You need to have legal documents in place and certain filing documents with the SEC and states and stuff on a per deal basis to make sure it's done legally and make sure all parties are protected, including investors as well as the, the, the sponsors, as they would call us. And away we go. And it's just, you know, it's really a few documents that get put in place and it gets reviewed and it's essentially the same thing as an operating agreement. That's one piece of it. Blessed by the state of California, basically, yeah. or, you get the seal of approval. Or, or any state you're investing in, right? Mm -hmm. So same thing, but it's just a handful of documents that get put together. It's called a private placement memorandum, a PPM, as some people throw the word out, and that has a handful of documents in it 
that is the offering for the investors. So is it is it based on like a dollar amount, like once you hit like a million dollars, nope. or is it based on the relationship of the people involved? Usually the relationship, because the let's say it was my dad, my brother, and two friends. Probably not going to go to the extent of putting together all this you know strenuous legal documentation. It usually just be an operating agreement. But when it starts to be a couple layers and distances, right? You know, is it because you're soliciting? Technically, yes. Uh, and, um, whether it's once we can get into more details, but you have what's called a 506 B offering and a 506 C offering, a 506 B offering allows me to connect with people that I have a relationship with. They can be accredited or non-accredited investors. Mm. A 506 C offering can be really anybody, right? But they have to be accredited. So I can start running ads on Facebook, but they we have to vet them and assure that they are an accredited investor and then they can invest with us. And, and then, then, I, then, I, then I can publicly advertise it, but I can't publicly advertise if what they call 506B offering. So uh, just real quick, an accredited investor. Yeah. How do I define an accredited yeah, investor? Yeah, usually you have a net worth of a million dollars or more, or I believe you're making two to $300,000 a year as a family or an individual. For the last two years, mm -hmm. yeah, and expect yeah. to have it going forward. Correct. Yeah, that's because those those are some of those qualifications where you're like, why is it that this guy over here got the opportunity to invest in this apartment building yep. and he got an awesome return, 10, 15, 20% on his money? Yep. I've never gotten that opportunity. Like the most my broker gives me is like <laughs> mutual funds. Sure. And, and well, but that's why you go in if, if you're not at that point where you're accredited and you don't have 50 grand to go put into a deal, you know, Peer Street's a great opportunity for that lending club, or you can go on Fundrise or crowd, some of the crowdfunding sites, right? Richuncles.com. And you can invest as little as five grand mm -hmm. and kind of start there and just dribble into it, right? Until you get the returns. You're just trying to generate cash flow, right? So where you get to a point that hopefully the cash flow you're generating on a monthly basis will replace the cash flow you're making as an employee mm -hmm. or a self-employed person. Because the minute you can wake up in the morning and I know that this month I'm making 10 grand a month, whether or not you got up or not. And I'm sitting in my PJs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then I don't need to go to work as an employee anymore. I, it's a choice. Or I don't need to go to work as an, a realtor anymore. It's, it's a choice. That's when you know I'm in the B quadrant or the I quadrant, right, as we were talking about, right? Business owner or investor in that whole um That's Robert essentially Kiyosaki you being thing. out of the rat race. Yeah, that's right. right. That's, that's, I think, that's our goal because if you're, in the, if you're in the E quadrant as an employee, then you're essentially going to, Follow the line like everybody else. You're going to work till you're 65 or 70. Hopefully, you accumulate enough wealth in your 401k and your retirement funds at that age to then be able to now retire and have the quote-unquote free time to do the things you really wanted to do for the last 60 years of your life. Mm. Or if you want to accelerate that and get that earlier in your life, in your 40s or maybe by 50, then you better get into the B or the I quadrant as soon as possible because there's no other way to do it. You can't do it in the E or the S. It's impossible. It'll never happen. There's some uh, real estate agents that I, I, I've you know met over the over the time we've done the podcast, and some of them are rock stars, and uh, and they make I, a lot of money. They make a lot of money on the top. On the top, but yeah. and the other thing is, you know, then I see you know on Facebook they're like, oh, it's my 26th birthday, it's my 28th birthday. I'm like, damn, like I I, I hope you know what I mean. Like when I sit down and talk to them, and I'm I'm hoping that you're investing your time and educating yourself in other things beyond buying that fancy car or that next bomb suit or sure. you know what I mean? Because 
if I can go back to the 28 year old self, <laughs> right, and and tell myself, you know, hey, don't we wish all, right? You know, like what advice can you give young realtors that are just kicking some butt out there that are rocking it or even experienced realtors, some some of them that have been, you know, in the industry for some time and, and putting out good numbers and making yeah. good money. What advice would you give them? You have to make a choice whether you your goal is to be the top realtor, right? And be the, the famous realtor that everybody knows and sees on Instagram and Facebook. And you're like, you're the famous person, girl or, or guy that's on, on the surface making a lot of GCI, right? Commission. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when you actually look at your balance sheet, and I call it not just your bank account, but your balance sheet, uh, what does that look like? You know, because it doesn't make you, it doesn't do you any good to go make a million dollars or half a million dollars in commissions when it when you spend four hundred thousand to get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pointless. It's kind of tough. Well, <laughs> but a lot of realtors have to right because you have to spend a bunch of money in this market. Unfortunately, as a realtor, to make that kind of commission level. So I've just made the decision for myself that for me, my goal is not to be the number one realtor. And it's not because I can't, I just made the choice that I'm using real estate as a catalyst to buy investment property. So that way, within a few years, I can get the hell out. Mm. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've, uh, I've had a tax practice since like 2006. Yeah. And I've come across people um, who are broke on two s- separate ends of the spectrum. I've had people who are broke and they make $50,000 a year, Hmm. um, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. Right. And I've met people who make, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year just as broke Mm -hmm. living paycheck to paycheck. Well, it's because standard of life goes up, right? As we all know, right? You go make a quarter of a million or two, three hundred grand. All of a sudden that standard of life goes up with it. Mm -hmm. And then it's tough to get out of that standard of life because now you probably have kids, family, you know, spouse. Everybody's kind of feeding off the machine. Yeah. (laughs) but it blows my mind because i mean both are broke right one broke looks fancier than the other one sure right but both are one paycheck away from like financial catastrophe Mm. and and it scares me especially in the sense that you know we've just had you know in my my mind anyways you know i'm I'm 38 so in my mind we just had a big financial crisis so you went through it so I'm, i'm 40 you're 38 so you remember the financial crisis and people that had kind of walked through it. I mean, we all still have scars from it, man. Dude, I, re- I mean, I we got lucky, right? So so the very first business I had, uh, James basically had his girlfriend break his heart. He joined the Navy and bounced. And that Deuces. Just, and, right? <laughs> exactly. And that just happened to be at the right time where I, I ended up shutting things down and we ended up selling our properties. And it was right before things went really bad. Mm. I happened to get out at a good time. Good time. There you go. Right? Not that, you know, business kind of made me go broke, but real estate didn't. Real estate actually helped me, yep. you know, maintain something and, and rebuild them on the way up afterwards. But there's a lot of people who just got devastated and plummeted mm-hmm. in, in the real estate game. But what doesn't get talked about that much is those people who had... 401ks who were ready to retire at that right around that time the market tanked for them yeah and their their you know portfolio that was a million dollars in stocks bye bye dude yeah but that comes down to what you invest in do you have control of this investment or not right right like we were talking a little bit earlier about about having control and you've chosen like i asked you are you in the market and you're like kind of a little bit mostly you're in real estate why choose 
real estate and and having apartment buildings over investing in your 401ks or in your stocks? So I do it all to answer your question, but I, I put it proportionately to my skill set. So, you know, I have a financial guy that I each money each month that goes into the business 401k and it just dribbles into it and then he manages that on a medium risk level because i told him i said i want medium risk for you and then i got you know northwestern mutual right so everybody by the way this is like the secret of all secrets people think like whole life insurance policies if they're a permanent life whatever you want to call them uh are bad no 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 that's actually the mechanism for truly growing wealth because you can get it in and it grows right tax free mm -hmm. okay and then that way, later down the line, you can actually leverage that, right? You can borrow against it. You don't all pay it. taxes on all borrowed money. Yeah, and he knows the insurance game, so he yep. probably gets it. Yes, sir. So all of that. So I have a term policy as well as a whole life policy, and we convert the term to whole every year. We're just moving money into it. So by a certain age group, that's super conservative type investment. Then I got the 401k that's like medium, right, in terms of risk. And then I'm the real estate guy. I can control what I know best, and that is apartments, multifamily, rental income properties, and I can take or set the risk level super or, or less, right? But I control it. What's the What's the benefit of having control? Give me some examples of like, why is control so vitally important when investing? Well, especially in the real estate game, um, We've all watched enough American Greed shows. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I'm watching another one. No, you just, you, you never know who you're investing with. It takes time to build that trust and likability with the people you're doing business with, just knowing that they're going to protect your money the same way they would protect theirs. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I know real estate really well. I can run it. I manage it. I went to school for it. I literally have lived it since I was like Yay, two years old. I literally wake up in the morning. I'm like, cap rates, cash flow, cash on cash return, <laughs> NOI, like, you know, like gross income, like operating, you know, statements. I'm like, oh crap. So and you're a machine. I'm just like, I just see it in my face every day. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, I'm a licensed general contractor. So I came up through the construction industry and understanding building construction, land development, land planning, like all that stuff too. So it's a pretty unique little setup. But in the crisis, I became an asset manager. Believe really? that. Yeah. That's how I found, I was telling you how I kind of like, Fell into accidentally it. fell into residential sales. It wasn't because I like sat there being like, oh yeah, I want to be a realtor. <laughs> what happened is, you know, my dad's companies, he had to consolidate all those because of the development companies, everything just tightened up. So after I helped him kind of consolidate all that, I had the opportunity with a company called Atlas REO here in San Diego. They were a third party asset management firm that was managing at the time between 2008 and 2010, most of the major banking institutions uh, in the United States, they're foreclosures. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, GMAC, Chase, we Which did at B of the A. time wasn't very organized, right? No, it was just it was chaos. Horrible. And the banks didn't know how to manage it themselves. So they would hire these third-party asset management companies. One of them was Atlas REO. So I worked there as an, as an Atlas, uh, asset manager for uh, about two years. What a learning experience. Holy That's a whole different other side. I mean, I, I've talked to people who went in the REO business yeah. during that time. I was hiring, you know, Kyle you were, Whistle? Yeah. We were hiring Kyle Whistle. Like I was hiring a lot of the realtors, right, to manage the properties, right? Go in, evictions, cash for keys, clean them out, all that process end to end. And we were doing it nationwide. But Kyle was one of our agents here in San Diego. If, you, if you're watching this, Kyle Whistle, you're out there, buddy. I know you're watching. Um, LinkedIn a lot. <laughs> but yeah, we were hiring him through Atlas. He was doing a bunch of business. There was a handful of realtors here in San Diego, Riverside County, a bunch. 
And then we were doing it all throughout the country. There's probably 200 asset managers that worked at the company, but that was also short-lived, right? Because I saw it moving. We knew REOs were gonna be here for a period of time, and then you can kind of watch it. Like I'd say late 2009, early 2010, it started to move from foreclosures to short sales. Mm-hmm. Value's going up. So now me and my broker mind, because I have my broker's license, I'm going ding, 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 ding. So now the homeowner controls the house. The bank doesn't control it anymore. It's still a distressed property. That homeowner needs help and they need guidance. Who better to help them than somebody who's on the inside, who's been an asset manager that knows what the bank thinks and how to get it Move done. to the next level, yeah. So we hopped out and I fell in and became, we were doing an enormous amount of short sales in San Diego for probably about two years. And that was 2010 to 2012 until it turned into traditional market. That's crazy. But it was, I mean, the short sales were just what? a nightmare, but we were really good at them because I already knew, depending on who the bank was, what type of loan it was, when they originated the loan, whether it was a first or second or a third, I, I could walk into the homeowner and tell them like, you're going to get it done and you're not. And if you want to get it done, this is how we have to do it. Like I already knew. Did you shrink the time frame too? Because the short sales were, were yes. they were a long Yes, process. by by knowing how to properly submit the package mm-hmm. to the right people and then having the right people to talk to inside the bank, right? Because of course there was chaos everywhere. Yeah. And so you just had to have the right connections with the right people and have, yeah, they're selling I, I use short term, I, I use short sale negotiators, right? Because it's better for my time to be out in the field, but I'd we have really good short sale negotiators working directly with the people at the banks at that time. So things are going to be changing soon. Um, I I like to look at certain things in the market as indicators as to what's going on. Things mm-hmm. like BPOs. Yep. Things like uh, the number of offers on a particular on on properties. Right. Things that are not necessarily mainstream uh, metrics. Yep. Uh, BPOs on the way up. Right. So are they? they? They've been, I've been, I mean, I get my inbox. Because there's five key indicators. Do you, do you know what those are? Show me chance? The, yeah, tell me, tell me. So the first one to look at is pending home sales, mm-hmm. right? That's the number one key indicator. Second one is um, defaults. Third one is foreclosures. Actually, well, yeah, because for obviously defaults and then foreclosures follow that. Um, fourth one is building permits. And then last one is interest rates. So if you watch those in that order, it'll give you a pretty good leaning indicator three to six months in advance as to kind of where we're an headed. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so pe- but here's the thing about defaults though, right? Like once the default gets recorded, mm-hmm. right. Isn't that different than if, you know, doesn't that the bank operate a little bit differently once it goes into default? Don't yes. They, right. And so what I've been noticing, or at talking least, about NOD, right? Yeah. Notice notice default. Default. Yeah. Yeah. Filed. So yeah. what I've been noticing is banks issuing BPOs prior to, going into default to get things ready for that aspect of it. Well, sure. Cause they could be at a point where they're 30, 60, 90 days late. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that's how it starts. And then the homeowner's trying to play catch up and make it Which work. Sometimes and, they don't and negotiate. And maybe it's a, a modification, whatever it may be, but they don't get through that. So the next stage is look, you haven't paid your mortgage in six months. I mean, I was dealing with people in the financial crisis that hadn't paid in four years. Dude. It was unbelievable. They're actually down here in South Bay. I did a bunch of them down here. I was like, man, you, you you've been living rent, rent free. free for four <laughs> years. I'm like, you should have a nice nest egg. I'm like, seriously. But anyhow, but it was what I actually got a great joy out of was helping people who are in really tough financial situations, like get through it and then watch like the weight, like fall mm-hmm. off them. It was really cool. Like, cause they're, they got kids, back. man. These are human beings. They got tough situations for whatever reason they got into it. I mean, we are all part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, that was really cool to help those people. So what do you think? 
near future here coming up? Like, do you uh, are you looking at? I mean, you talked a little bit about how you see an indicator. You're like, I'm gonna jump ship on a drop ship on this thing. I move over here. Like, what do you what do you see yourself? Are you gonna continue? I mean, obviously, you're gonna continue buying apartments, building apartments. Yeah, as long as you buy them right, right. So the the first like we don't buy just you know one of the rules of thumb and you can take this is um, we only buy C apartment buildings. We turn them into B's surrounded by A's. So I basically want to be Walmart surrounded by Neiman Marcus, JC Penney, Nordstrom, like, cause I'm always full. You buy the ugliest house on the block. Yeah. But I, but then, nice but, then I, but then I turn it into the decent house on the block and it's in surrounded nice by the nicest houses yeah. on the block. Yeah. So I, I, that way I'm always full because when markets tank, what happens to the people in the luxury game? They, they have to go down to the B game, mm-hmm. right? And so you're all, you're full in the good times, you're full in the bad times because you always people have to move between the levels. So that's why, you know, I, I was taught that in grad school. So you said like, does college teach you anything? It, yeah. yeah. In your case, you did. <laughs> it taught that, which is extremely helpful. And then you just learn how to underwrite things correctly, certain numbers to look for. And like when you're just looking at a deal, I can tell you pretty quickly whether the apartment is probably going to work or not. That's crazy, dude. I mean, just the matter of experience that you have in that industry to be able to look at a, 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 an asset like that. Like, do you have to walk through the apartment building or are you just looking through? No, like if let's say something came across the table and I knew it was a fixer, like a value add opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say it's in Kansas City or San Antonio or outside of California. I'd say, okay, um, what are the potential rents? Right. I know where they're at now, but what's the potential rent? So, okay. And it's $800 a month hypothetically. And that's in Kansas city, maybe, uh, that number, that average unit rent, monthly rent needs to be greater than 1% of the, uh, per unit purchase price. So what I mean by that is let's say we're buying it for 80,000 a door. What's 1% of 80,000. That's 800. So the average monthly rent needs to be 801. I look at the same 1% metric when looking at single and, family residence. Yeah. And that's just, that's a base point. Oh yeah. Right. Obviously Starting. that just lets you know, okay, should I dive in deeper or not dive in deeper? Right. So once that gets met, then you dive into the real data, right? And you got to run your numbers and stuff, but that allows you to kind of see something pretty quickly and go, oh, that's probably not the right opportunity for us. Yeah. At least, at least to decide upfront. Yeah. No, I, I use the same thing when we, when we look at single family yeah. residences, we're the same thing. Well, does it meet the 1% rule? Then we keep going. Yeah. Otherwise it's like, well, let's find another market because yeah. this is not, uh, and just not stick what to for. what you know works. You know, what it get, what ends up people is people get into trouble is because they, they get squeezed and they get to a market like this where it's like, we're so hard to get deals to work. Mm-hmm. So they start then making exceptions and then that just, exception gets them in trouble. Does that mean that you invest mostly out of San Diego? Because I swear. Right now we are. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no 1% rule. Yeah. Yeah. No, we only have. Yeah. So everything we've. So we made that decision uh, in 2018. We went out of California. So we're in um, Kansas City. We're going into San Antonio and then Tucson. Um, The only thing we have here in California stuff we've already bought. We bought in 2010 and 12. When it made sense. Yeah. When it made sense. It actually cash flows beautifully. Um, and then we're building, we're in entitlement stages on 19 apartment units, uh, in the East County. So, uh, that'll hopefully be permitted by the end of this year, but that's just cause it got purchased so well, we'll just entitle it and, you know, build it cause it makes sense, but it's tough to buy stuff that's existing right now and have a pencil unless you're trying to park money. Remember there's two types of people. There's people just trying to 1031 exchange, park money, preserve wealth. I'm cool with like 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you have people that are trying to make money. I, I'm trying to make money. I'm in a growth stage, so I can't afford 3%. We need to see X. And that just doesn't, it doesn't work in San Diego right now, which is why it's a hard, it's hard. What are you looking for in investment? Like what's, what's your minimum ROI that you're looking for? Well, you want to see at least a two uh, times equity return for the investors on their money. So, you know, if they're putting in a million dollars, we want to see 2 million out of it, you know, that type of stuff. Um, just when you're looking at basic numbers, but I mean, for most of our investors, they want to see a 15 to 18% internal rate of return, right? Annual rate of return on their money. Uh, and if we can give them a, say a 6% pref on their money on apartments, right? Um, they're usually happy with that. And that, because keep in mind, our, our investors are people who would otherwise have the money in a mutual fund right. or another conservative vehicle. And they're saying, look, I want to diversify a hundred grand to that. And I want to put it into apartments, but I don't know how to run apartments. So I have two options. I can either go figure it out and buy my own and trip and fail over myself, or I can invest with people I trust that I know aren't going to rip me off and be on American greed in three years. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the advice. Cause, uh, you know, I, I get people that ask all the time, what should I invest in? My first question is always, well, how much money do you have? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I gave you the option of Pier Street and Lending right, Club. Because, right. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Not everybody has 50 grand they can throw out there, or 100 grand or 200 grand or a million bucks. So I, I say, well look, yeah, if you got $1,000, start with that, peerstreet.com, just, and you can automatically invest $200 a month, right? It's just a backdoor way to invest in real estate. It's conservative. It's, a, it's another avenue other than putting it into a mutual fund or you know some bond or conservative stock portfolio. And it's outside of the stock market. It's stuck in real estate. And there's that one or lending club. So you yeah. kind of, I mean, you can play with, you know, a few thousand bucks and all those. Yeah. At least, at least to get your feet wet. Cause that, that's, that's one of the biggest things is, is step number one, let's get in the habit of putting your money away. Yeah. Right. If you can't do that, then we have no conversation on what you're going to invest later in the future. Even if you're getting a dividend of 50 bucks a month, see, don't think about the dollar figure. Think about the process. Exactly. Right. Cause $50, you'd be amazed all of a sudden, then you're getting $500 a month. And then, you know, a couple of years later, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm making 5,000 a month residual. I don't have to do anything. Next thing you know, it's 10 grand a month. You're like, well, I'm quitting my job, my job, done my job. And then, <laughs> uh, or my realtor position, whatever it is, but you get to that point. And that's, what's building now, like for me and like, I'm like laser focused on it because I now, I only learned the quadrant thing that we talked about, the, the Robert Kiyosaki quadrant, like two years ago. Really? I'm like, where, I wish I would have known like, this a where, long time ago. Like, if I wish I, I would have learned this in the financial crisis, I'd be so much farther, <clears throat> you know, ahead. I'm like, man, two years ago. So. Dang, really? That was like, it's funny, man, because you know, you talk about. I asked you about education. <clears throat> For me, it was, it was that was the first book I ever picked up. I got like almost straight A's in high school, but I didn't read anything really. I, I mean, I, I intuitively understood it, yeah. <clears throat> but now, like once I saw it. You can't unsee it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, now I get it. Yeah. Like, now I get it. I mean, I'm sitting here. I need to get, you know, here, here, <clears throat> now, like ASAP. Unless unless I'm okay. Unless I'm okay with just going and getting a nine to five job and, <clears throat> you know, maybe if make. If you're happy, right? Yeah, maybe make a hundred grand, 150 grand a year, but just realize that you're going to work that to your 65 or 70. Yep. Yep. And then Until at that point, happy. and then at that point, you have the freedom or the free time. Yeah, yeah but at 70, you, I don't know how good you're going to feel at 70 years it just old. Just depends. All right. I know, I know. All right, cool. So I'm getting the uh, producer. Oh. All right, so we're going to do a segment called Ask the Bros. So I'm going to ask you Ooh. to ask us a question, anything you want, personal or business, James or myself or both, doesn't matter. Yep. And while you think of a question, I'm going to remind our audience 
Uh, ladies and gents, tonight, if you guys got nothing to do, 6 o'clock, we're going to be doing Fuck Up Nights. It's in Downtown Works. It's where entrepreneurs come and share their biggest fuck-ups. So <laughs> uh, it's a nice networking event, so come out, come out and check it out. Uh, we're going to drop a link here in the uh, show notes so you guys get your tickets. We'll be in the Downtown Works in downtown, 6 o'clock tonight. See you guys there. Ready? I'm ready. Go, shoot. Uh, I'm curious, like, so... When did you guys actually sit together and say, we're going to do a podcast? That was July. July will be two years. Okay. And you have a few thousand people that are like, and I, I mean, I see you guys on like all the time. We, so it's growing. Oh yeah. It's definitely growing. It's one of the biggest, uh, one of the greatest things that we've done business wise. Why do you follow Gary V? Like I do? Cause I know we were talking why? about that. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like, what do you love about Gary V? It's pretty simple. I like his, his easy answers. Yeah. Like there's no complication to his answers. They're just pretty basic and they're they're blunt and straightforward. Do you feel like he's a little all over the place sometimes though? Like he's like scatterbrained a lot. Do you notice that? Yeah, but that, but so am I. Okay. Right? In other words, <laughs> it, 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 it's true though. It's true. Like like uh I'll I'll, I'll tell you something I'm like, dude, this is what I think you should do. I think you should 100% go this route. Right. However, like if you're like this, you should probably go this route and they're like two extremes, right? <laughs> like he gets on my case all the time because you know, I'll, we'll, I'll come up and I'll be like, James, dude, I got this great idea. This is what this is the direction I think we should go in with the insurance company. Look, it, it's going to go here. We're going to do this, this, and this. And and I think it's going to go to this direction. He's like, okay, cool. And he's a very systems-oriented mm. guy. So he's going to turn around and start implementing all the systems. And just as he finishes and starts implementing everything, you I'm change like, your idea, don't you? dude, yeah. this is what we should do. Uh, and, and the the problem, the thing he gets upset about is I'm right. Like he agrees with me, but now he has to change all the stuff. So are you, I, have you done disc testing? You know, disc testing? Yeah. Okay. So you're probably a C, huh? I, you know what? I haven't actually done it. Yeah. And you're probably a D <clears throat> or an I for sure. I'm more of an IS. Are uh, you? Yeah. I, yeah. D, D, I was going to say you're yeah, social. You definitely have an I in you for sure. Yeah. It's just a question of your D or an S. That makes sense. But yeah, if you're saying he systems logistics plan for a plan. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, definitely so on he's that a side. C. Mm-hmm. So if you get an email, would you like that in a list or a paragraph? List. Okay. Yeah, you're yeah. C. <laughs> yeah, I'm a C too, so I, I can relate with you. But I had to I had to convert my my the way I operate because what I started to realize is as a C, it's hard for us to jump out and take risk. Mm-hmm. So sometimes because you plan right, and then you plan, then you have a plan for plan, and yep. more plans yep. for those yep. plans, and then you keep planning, and then you never actually take action. But we all know the difference between. You know, is ex- is you got to take Execution. action. You can yeah. plan, but you got You got to take action. Yep. So sometimes you just got to jump in and let the house show up. Yep. And I had to learn that. That was hard because I, intuitively I'm like, <gasps> but I had to say, you know what? F it. Yep. I'm going. We will figure this out because I'm smart enough to do it. I know we can do it. We got good people around us. We're going to get this shit done. Mm-hmm. And we would just jump out and we would, it would give, turn out beautiful. Shoot. Worry about the ready aim stuff later. Taking that risk was scary <laughs> as hell as a c personality so then that started to move me into kind of that cd where now i'm like i'm kind of like i'm at a i want to go to z like we're going to figure it out let's go and then you kind of more big visionary thought versus so c yeah i think you like michael gerber's book so it's it's the e-myth right e-myth yeah the entrepreneurial myth and and he talks about the three different personality types in a business yeah so he talks about the entrepreneur the manager and the technician, uh, right? And so the three different levels. I'm very uh, entrepreneur mindset. Yep, like yep. I'm very much like let's let's move, let's go in this direction, let's change ships, whatever. He's very managerial, 
right? Let me, you know, everything's got to be in its spot. Yep. This, this thing has its place here. This has its place here. This is the procedure for but this. But you need that. You absolutely That keeps your do. ass in check. Absolutely. <laughs> and then uh, and then we bring on into the insurance agency the technicians, the ones yeah. who are actually doing the selling, the, sure. the nitty gritty. And so I think you like that book. Hmm. Like if you like the, the Kiyosaki book, you'll like yeah. the way, he, the way uh, Michael Gerber describes the business. I like that. Um, it makes a lot of sense. So since you're off camera and we can really see you, which... oh, I'm, I'm on camera. Oh, now. you are? Yeah, oh. I'm back on camera now. So what's your background like in 30 seconds? Because I, I want to learn about you. Oh, oh uh, my background, 30 seconds. Yeah, uh, you're in insurance. I know eight that. Eight years yeah. in the Navy. Yeah. Uh, six years in insurance. Yeah. Uh, podcast produ- producer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know. Just what's your degree in? Just what's so... my degree? Oh, uh, hard knocks. Business administration right. with a focus in finance and. Project management. Beautiful. Yeah. That's a good background. Yeah. That's not too bad. Yeah. It worked out. Yeah. He was a horrible high school student. <laughs> the worst. But once he got into college well, and he knew what he wanted to do, totally different. Yeah. So I was, I was really bad with, I was like middle of the road because I had a learning disability where it was really hard for me to take standardized tests, mm-hmm. like multiple mm-hmm. choice. So therefore the SAT was like really hard for me. I had to like double and triple study to get like an 11 or 1200. Right, whereas like most kids are like, like no problem, like sixteen hundred, like now, or now it's like much higher than that. But yeah, so I had to like double time it on the education side, but it was okay because I could outwork people. Like I knew. There you go. I was like, I can outwork you. Yeah, hundred like, percent. Like if there are twenty you know, five hours in the day, I'm I going will to beat you. Work twenty five hours. I will beat you because <laughs> I will work. I will outwork you. So you can be smarter. Great, congratulations. But I will. I will be the hare or the tortoise, whatever you want to call yep, that, and I, yep. will, I will find a way past you. And every once in a while, you'll bump into Gary V's, which are the hares, all the way through. Holy cow. <laughs> that guy is just, I mean, I'm like, what are you on every day? Dude, so high off so life, dude. High off life, yeah. He's pretty impressive. He I, I watch his stuff. So. All right, Justin. All right, Gary V, hit us it up. A, it was yeah. a pleasure. Dude, it was, it was a pleasure. Fun, man. Thanks, a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on Thank the Thank you for inviting me and having me here and kind of sharing a little bit of the story, and hopefully people get some value from it. So. I hope so. I, I think so. I sure that was a good one. Yeah, heck yeah, I sure did. All right, ladies and gents, that's all we got for you guys today. Peace. Bye-bye. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you interested in being on the show? Are you looking to sell your home or have a business that needs insurance? Reach out to the Business Bros via email, businessbros at seeusfirst.com right now or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe and share the podcast with the business professionals who you think would benefit from the show.